you know the events of the Christmas story. Bethlehem, shepherds, angels. They are all part of the story. But did you know that the entire story of the Bible and of history revolves around a pregnant woman giving birth to a male child that a dragon wants to murder? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you to open the Bible for yourself so that you can discover Jesus Christ. On our last encounter, we began to look at Revelation 12, a study titled, The Mother, the Dragon, and the Male Child. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he shows how Revelation chapter 12 exposes the main storyline of the Old Testament. In the early life of David, there was another man named Saul. And Saul was the first king of Israel. And as David began to ride in his popularity, as David began to gain momentum, what happened to Saul? Saul became furious. His anger built up against David. And one time while David was playing for him, Saul actually reared back and threw a javelin right at David, trying to nail him to the wall. He tried to kill him. And then David spent the early part of his life, as you're reading 1 Samuel, it's one of the major plot lines in the book of Samuel. David is running all over the wilderness. Why? Because Saul is trying to kill him. You ever ask yourself, why in the world does Saul want to kill him? It's the dragon. The dragon knows that this is the promised child. This is the one that God in 2 Samuel chapter 7 will promise that his kingdom will never end. So early in David's career, the dragon, this fire-breathing dragon, true to the plot line that was introduced to us in Genesis chapter 3, is throwing the javelin repeatedly at this young David, trying to kill him, trying to destroy him. As the kingdom develops, God preserves David's life, but as the kingdom developed, there actually came a time where the line of David, the chosen line of David, actually was on just one child. Can anybody tell me there was a wicked queen who wanted to snuff out the entire line of King David? Athaliah, there was a wicked queen that's not usually one of your Sunday school stories. 2 Kings chapter 11, let's look at this story. This is an incredible story that you need to know. It says, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. Do you ever think of the significance of those words? It says that when Athaliah saw that the mother of Ahaziah, that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. If we stopped right there, the whole Bible would come to an end. All that you believe about Jesus would be over. All of the churches, all of the commitment to the cross, all the commitment to the resurrection, it would all be false. That's how tragic it would be. If there was no continuation here, if that verse was the end of it all, that Athaliah was able to destroy the whole royal family, that would be the end of the story. What was wicked Athaliah doing? She was energized by the dragon, by the chaos monster, by Satan. And Satan seeks to snuff out that royal child of David. But look what it says. I just love this but. But Jehosheba... And when you ever get to heaven, you need to remember her name, Yehosheba. It's not a common name. If I were to ask you, oh, you remember Yehosheba, right? Most of us say, man, who in the world is Yehosheba? You need to remember Yehosheba. This precious girl, the daughter of King Jehoram, the sister of Ahaziah, took this little baby Joash, 
The son of Aziah stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide from Athaliah, so he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commander of the units of a hundred, the Karaites and the guards, and he brought him at the temple of the Lord. He made a covenant with them and put them under oath at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, saying, This is what you are to do, you who are in the three companies that are going on duty on the Sabbath. A third of you guard the royal palace, a third of the third gate, a third of the gate behind who takes turns guarding the temple. And you who are in the other two companies that normally go off to the Sabbath duty are all to guard the temple for the king. Station yourselves around the king, each man with his weapons in hand. Anyone who approaches your ranks must be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. What the high priest Jehoiada did is he gathered a guard around this young Joash who's now been kept in hiding in the temple and he, he presents kind of a, he puts him, installs him as the true king of Judah. Here we have this incredible dramatic story right tucked into the page of the Old, of the Old Testament where Athaliah, this wicked queen, tried to destroy this little boy Joash. But God protects him. That shows you how the plot can develop. You come a little bit further in the Old Testament. What's the story of, of Esther about? The entire story of Esther is the story of the extermination of the Jewish people. Haman, in the middle of the book of Esther, comes up with a plot. He wants to destroy all the Jews. The Jews didn't return. A lot of them didn't return. A lot of them are still living in Babylon under the Persian reign. And Haman, who's the prime minister of the Persian Empire, comes up with his plan. It's kind of one of the very first holocausts. He comes up with his plan that I'm going to snuff out the entire Jewish nation. And he has it all planned. He has the soldiers all lined up. He has the methods of destruction all lined up. And Esther, in an incredible courage, goes in before Ahasuerus, the Persian king. And she very skillfully designs in the story of Esther this incredible plot where she invites the king to come to her house to eat. And he graciously comes. And as the meal is unfolding, Ahasuerus notices how cast down Queen Esther is. And she risks her life because you are not to be mourning or to be sad in the presence of the king. But the king couldn't help but, but ask, you know, Esther, what is wrong? And Esther had Haman invited to that, to that great festival right with her king. And so in this dramatic, incredible turn of events, Esther explains to Ahasuerus that the reason that she's so afraid is that this man eating the meal with her is going to destroy her life because she's a Jewess as well as all the rest of her people. And there's an incredible turnaround. Haman is hanged on the gallows that he was going to destroy Mordecai upon. And instead of the Jewish nation being killed, they're able to defeat their enemies. It was a great victory. And the Jews to this day celebrate the Feast of Purim, which is the celebration of how God protected the children of Israel. How do all those stories fit together? How does this story of God promising Eve in the very beginning, she's going to produce a son that's going to conquer the serpent chaos, this incredible evil that's against her. 
Why the murderous violence against Abel? Why in the world is Judah almost destroyed in a famine? Why in the world does Saul attack David and seek to snuff at his life? Why does Athaliah try to kill little baby Joash? Why in the book of Esther, during the intertestamental period, is there this tremendous hatred against the Jewish people? Then we come right down to the Christmas story. And we all think of the Christmas story as being you know, just a really nice story and... You think of the Virgin Mary and she's glowing and radiating light and she wears beautiful blue robe and everything is antiseptic. You know, well, none of you have ever seen a barn that really looks like that. None of you have ever seen a cave with animals that looks like that. We've, we've so religiousized the Christmas story. All of you ladies, just think of, of having to walk and then ride a, a donkey all the way down from Nazareth over the mountains of Samaria, or if they went the other way, down into Transjordan and across the highlands of modern-day Jordan and down into Jericho, then up into Bethlehem. It would be an incredibly agonizing thing. Why in the world did Mary have to go through that? Why in the world did the Roman emperors call for there to be this, this, this census so that Joseph and Mary have to go through all of this agony right when Mary's supposed to give birth to the child? The dragon is trying to destroy the child. There's a tremendous conflict over the birth of Jesus. Then you have, when Jesus is born, what does Herod try to do? The wise men depart another way. Herod gets mad. And what does he do in the city of Bethlehem? He murders all the babies under two years of age. The blood flows, the little children die. From the beginning of time, Satan's been trying to snuff out the life of children. But God, just like Revelation 12 tells us, snatches the child away, takes him down to Egypt, preserves his life. During the story of Jesus, remember when Jesus went to Nazareth, his own town? He went back to his hometown and he spoke in the synagogue. And when he, he gave an incredible address in his hometown, everybody's responding to him. Everybody's excited about what he has to say. But when he says, this day, the prophecy is fulfilled in your ears, his hometown turned against him. How could this ever be? This is Joseph's son. Man, he's just from the other side of the track. Who does he think that he is? And they took him up on a high mountain and they tried to cast him down. They tried to kill him. Why did they do that? The dragon, the fire-breathing red dragon, going to snuff out the life of Jesus. Herod, Antipas, puts John the Baptist in jail, takes him over to Machaerus, cuts his head off. Jesus has to flee from Judea, away from the, from the centerpiece of Herod's authority, trying to get away. What's going on? Satan is trying, this dragon trying to snuff out the life of Jesus. Turn to the end of the Gospel of John. Finally, we come to the cross. And as we look at the end of the Gospel of John, we'll use John, we could have used Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John's Gospel, we have this conflict intensifying. As Jesus has the Last Supper meal and Judas betrays the Lord, Jesus knows that Satan has entered into Judas. The dragon has now personified himself in Judas. And Judas sells his master into the hands of the religious leaders. Then he puts him into the hand of the Romans, and Jesus is destroyed. Jesus is arrested. He's sentenced to be crucified. As we turn to uh, John chapter 19, verse 16, it says, Finally, Pilate handed him over then to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. 
Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. This is the son of Judah, the son of David, but now he's hanging on a cross. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where this was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, so the entire world could know the, what the meaning of the sign was. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that's what he claimed to be, the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So the truth remained on the cross of Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was the king of God's chosen people. Turn to verse 26. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son, here is your mother. That would be the the beloved John who wrote the book of Revelation that we're studying. He was the beloved disciple that was assigned to take care of Mary. Now, I would expect, here's Jesus hanging on the cross. He's crucified. All the story of the Bible has been moving towards this moment. In other words, God... When Abel was destroyed, God raised up Seth. When Judah was going to starve to death, God raised up Joseph. When Saul tried to kill King David, God miraculously rescued him through the wilderness. When Athaliah wanted to kill Joash, God raised up Yale Sheba. And this precious girl preserved Joash so that the line of David could continue. When Haman wanted to destroy all the Jewish people so there would be no promised child, God raised up Esther. When God, when Herod tried to breathe out his anger against the babies of Bethlehem, God snatched his son away and took him to Egypt. When in Nazareth they tried to kill Jesus, God miraculously enabled his son to walk through the crowd. At the cross, I would expect, if I was running this, if this was a TV drama, you would expect that right at this point, here is Jesus hanging on the cross. Everyone's yelling at him. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. If you're the one that can deliver us, come down off the cross and we're going to believe you. They're mocking, they're blaspheming him. What would you expect to happen at this point? In a really good dramatic story, you would expect, man, there to be thunder and lightning and for the whole universe to just just cascade in light and for Jesus to begin to radiate light like he did at the transfiguration. You would expect him to reveal his divinity. You would expect him to destroy all of his enemies and welcome all those that would receive him. That's what I would expect, wouldn't you? But instead, the horror of it all, the disciples, for thousands upon thousands of years, the dragon had been trying to snuff out the child. The dragon was trying to destroy the child. The dragon was trying to murder him. And all the way through the Old Testament, you see that the great thrill of the story is he can't do it. He can't do it. Right in the nick of time, man riding in his white horse, the champion comes and delivers right in the nick of time. You go through the life of Christ and you can see the same drama. The dragon trying to kill the child, destroy the child, destroy the child. Right at the crucial point, the child's on the cross. He's being massacred by evil. He's being massacred by pride and jealousy. All the chaos of human sin is snuffing his life and you expect now is the most exciting dramatic moment because he's going to be transfigured in this radiating light and destroy all of his enemies. But instead, we read in the book of John, Jesus breathed out his last and says, it is finished. Look at verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That's one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible. 
You know, as you go through your life, you're going to go through that kind of experience. As you, as you walk this life of Christ, you're going to feel like, where was God? God the Father didn't come through for me. God the Father didn't meet my needs. God the Father didn't provide for me. God the Father just didn't do his thing. You're going to look like it is finished. In fact, some of you probably this week have wondered in your life, I think it's finished. I'm done. I'm just not, this God thing just doesn't work. This Jesus thing doesn't work. Well, you're never going to figure God out. You're never going to get God to fit your plot lines. You're, never get, you're not going to write the story for God, and I'm not either. There's not one of you that could have ever come up with a story of history like I've just described to you. You could never come up with a story where for thousands upon thousands of years, the dragon tried to snuff out the child, and every single time you protected the child, made sure the promised line continued. And then finally, when the great Messiah came, the dragon breathed fire against him, and right at the crucial point, you allowed the dragon to snuff out the life of the child. Only it really wasn't the dragon that took his life. It says Jesus breathed his life on his own. You know why? He did it for you. You see, Jesus took the brunt as he went into hand-to-hand combat with evil, with Satan, with the evil one that wants to snuff out your life. Jesus took the brunt of everything that the dragon could ever do to you and everything he could ever do to the human race. Jesus allowed it all to be done to him. That's what was happening on the cross. And Jesus allowed the fiery red dragon, this awesome creature that's presented in Revelation chapter 12, he allowed him just to devour him. He allowed him to attack him. He did hand-to-hand combat with him. And then Jesus took the penalty that our sin deserved. And when Jesus breathed his last and says, it is finished, Satan laughed all the way to the banks. He thought he had won. And sometimes you're going to go through time in your life where you're going to feel like, man, this Jesus thing, I lost. Jesus doesn't do what I want. Jesus doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to answer him. It just doesn't seem like it pays to stand on his side. But you need to remember that the cross, it is finished It's not a statement of, I'm finished. It says, it is finished. Not, I'm finished, but it is finished. What was finished was that the payment of your sin was paid. The grip that sin had upon the human race was broken. The justice of God was poured out, and the penalty of our sin was completely wiped away, and Jesus paid it all for us. He was the redemptive sacrificial lamb that paid the price for us. But he wasn't finished. The sacrifice for sin was finished. The payment was paid in full. But you know how the story goes on. Because it says in Revelation chapter 20, it says early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And and John chapter 20 doesn't end with the cross. It ends with an incredible resurrection story. In fact, John, as we open up to Revelation chapter 12, John jumps all the way through the birth, the life, the the crucifixion, the resurrection. John jumps all the way to the ascension in Revelation chapter 12 because right when the child is born, the dragon tries to kill the child, but the child is snatched out of his hands and taken to heaven. Because from God's perspective... God can summarize the whole life of Christ. Jesus was born. He lived a perfect life. John's gospel tells the story about how he identified himself as the Messiah, how he died on the cross of Calvary for us, how he rose again, and how he ascended into heaven. And Luke shares in Acts chapter 1 that he was caught up to the right hand of God. 
And he's coming back for us. Revelation chapter 12 summarizes the whole story by just a simple phrase. He was snatched away from the dragon and he was taken away. That's the ascension. The ascension of God. Now you have to decide, you're going to have to decide whether you believe that. You're going to have to decide whether you're going to trust in that. You're going to have to decide whether you believe that that's the story that will give meaning to your life. You see, Revelation chapter 12 presents this incredible drama. The pregnant mother is Mary. It's Mother Israel. It is Mother Eve. It's this incredible story. That's that's who she is. The male child is Jesus, who all the way down through was promised he would come. Satan tried to snuff him. But right at the climax of history, God used what Satan had been trying to do, all of the plot line of the Bible, right at the crucial moment. God used what the dragon was trying to do, and he allowed his son to die. But God twisted the story. And in an incredible plot change, he raised his son to life from the dead. He snatched him away and enthroned him. And as Revelation chapter 12, the second verse 6 closes, we have the woman taken away to the wilderness where she's going to be protected for 1,260 days. And where that's going to have to wait to another time because that's the rest of the story of Revelation. How is this woman going to be protected? How does God protect the covenant community that gave birth to the Messiah? The Messiah was given birth by old covenant Israel. Is God through with old covenant Israel? I believe the answer to that question is no. The rest of the book of Revelation is going to show how God is going to protect that child. You say, Dave, what does this drama have to do with me? Well, we just studied, we learned that in all the cultures of the world, there's these myths. I just told you the true myth that should grip your soul. I'm not using myth of a pretend story, but of a gripping saga, of an incredible drama that needs to become the burning passion of your life and mine. We just put together what the whole Old Testament scripture is about. As you study your Old Testament, it's revealing to you how this incredible God in heaven had been writing history from the beginning of time around these characters. This pregnant woman, a dragon trying to destroy her child, and eventually the male child is born. And the male child, Jesus, has been born, and he's conquered the dragon. The question is, has he conquered the dragon for you? You see, he's going to conquer Satan in the book of Revelation. That's how this book's going to close. But right now in your life, as you leave here, you have to decide, because you're living in the age of grace. Jesus isn't just radiating light to you and just destroying all opposition. Now he comes just quietly. In fact, he comes to you invisibly in the presence of his spirit. He talks quietly upon your heart. And as I've been sharing with you today, you have to decide, do I believe this is true? Do I have to believe that this is really what history is about? Do I have to believe that this is the explanation of why babies are destroyed and that eventually I can trust my Heavenly Father to make it right? You have to decide where you're going to put your faith. As for me and my house, we've decided that this is going to be our story. This is the great story of history. This is what we're going to believe. I pray that every single one of you, you dads in your household, what I have shared with you today, this needs to be dads, this needs to be the passion of your life. This needs to be the Savior that you adore, that you love, that you trust this twist in history, that the Savior that eventually the dragon thought he was able to destroy rises again from the dead, and you trust your entire family's internal destiny in the story that we've shared today, the truth 
about Jesus. It's the real thing. It's not about being a Bible church person or a First Baptist person or a Methodist person or a Roman Catholic person. It's about whether or not what I have just presented to you as the story, as the saga of history, you have to decide whether you believe it's the truth. And I want you to know that from the depth of my heart that I have decided to put all of my trust in this male child. And so when things appear to be going really bad, when it seemed like the dragon's chewing me really good and he's burning me with his fire-breathing stuff, I come back to Revelation chapter 12 and I trust that God my Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit will eventually take care of me. That it's going to eventually end up okay. I also catch the incredible greatness of what I've, what I've studied and, and what we're studying about today here. And I, and I realize that I need to let God be God because this is such a big story. This is a great and wondrous sign. It's not just something I could figure out. It's much bigger than I am, and it helps me to be humble, and it helps me to pray, and it helps me to worship. The decision for today is, what do you believe about this male child? Who do you trust? Let's pray. Father, we've tried to put together one of the major plot lines of all the scripture. I'd ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help your people to really understand that. Father, help it not just to be head knowledge about the Bible, but help it to become the heart commitment of our life. Lord, just as certainly as the dragon was trying to snuff out the male child all the way through the history of the page of the Old Testament, he's still trying to snuff out the body of Christ today through the persecution that he brings against us, and it helps us to begin to understand what's happening in In China, what's happening throughout the world is persecution of the dragon against the children of the sun continues. But I thank you that the book of Revelation tells us how the story ends. And it challenges us to persevere. It challenges us to continue to believe. It challenges us by faith to believe that just as certainly as Jesus was caught up in the ascension from the Mount of Olives, that one day we as the bride of Christ will be caught up to be with him in the rapture. And then at the end of the book of, of, of Revelation, Jesus comes back, and we're going to come back with him. And Jesus is going to return, and all those that believed in him during the tribulation are going to be rewarded. And eventually the dragon is going to be defeated. He's going to be chained and eventually thrown into everlasting darkness. Lord, I would pray that we would believe that today. And that we would not allow this fire-breathing drama to have any sway in our family life, in our personal life, in our church life. I'd ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move us to read this chapter and to worship this great male child that was born. To be thankful for his defeat over the dragon. Lord, some of my brothers and sisters have experienced some of the fire of the dragon, some of the lies, some of the deception that he brings, the discouragement that he brings. And that brings great temptation to, to wonder about where you are. And I pray that this chapter, as it opens the whole story of history to us, would help us as we face some of the great inconsistencies in our own life. We just thank you so much that we can worship Jesus as this great deliverer. I pray that these great fundamental truths of the faith would be what we live and die for. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.